part of it. Imagine you have 7,000 years of data and information, but when you go ask somebody, they barely know anything. And the majority of us, right? So it's if we lose the language, then you lose that connection altogether with this. Hello, Assyrian podcast family. John here in Chicago welcoming you to episode 60 with our guest, Dr. Robbie Ito. As I get older and experience more of life just outside of my bubble, I continue to learn about just how vast our language is. For the first half of my life, I always assumed people spoke Assyrian more or less uh, like I did with slight deviations. As I learned a little bit more about dialects, subdialects, and the history behind our language, I found out about an organization named Rinyo. Most of you have probably heard the name, seen at least one of their YouTube or Facebook videos, or even held one of their books. Some of what you probably didn't know, like the creative process behind those videos, booking many of the talented voices, and what lies ahead for Rinyo in the future, are detailed in this talk I had with Robbie. We may not totally see it today, but the result of what Rinyo does for educating Assyrian youth and even adults will be an absolute delight to see in the next couple of decades. Support for this week's episode of the Assyrian Podcast is brought to you by Tony Kalagarakos and the Injury Lawyers of Illinois and New York. If you know anyone that's been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Kalagarakos. Tony has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at InjuryRights.com or 847-982-9516. Now, let's lend our ears to the man behind some classic tunes rewritten and sung in both dialects of our lovely language, Dr. Robbie Ito. So I'm going to start off by taking something directly from your Facebook, a little bit of cliff notes here. Mm. Rinyo means idea or concept. Rinyo Incorporated is a nonprofit organization established in Chicago in 2012 to help the Syriac language and Mesopotamian culture survive and thrive in the 21st century. So Rinyo helps the culture thrive through various resources like books and Rinyo tunes, which are available on YouTube. When did the idea come to you to create such a valuable tool like Rinyo? It started when I was in high school. My family, my extended family, my parents, my uncles from both sides were very involved in church and in, in political parties at the time. And they were very interested and they drilled this idea of culture and language in our heads since then. I remember walking down uh, our stairs to the basement you had the alphabet on the walls or on the ceiling. So it's like in your face wow. everywhere. So it was something natural that grow in, grow up and learning from these different organizations what was missing, like from the churches, the politics, what what's something that they want to do, but they're not able to do because of time constraints or money constraints. And I was like, okay, so maybe if we invested our own money and time into this in parallel to these people, not to take over anything, right. More like to work with parallel with these people, maybe we can advance things even further. So that's how that started. 
How does somebody access Rinio? Very basic question. Do I need an iPhone? Can it be accessed on smart TVs, on computers, laptops? You can basically access it anywhere. We try to make everything that everything through the websites and the social media at this point. So you don't need a specific thing. So for example, um, we've seen people from our data that we get from YouTube, people are accessing through smartphones or ask, uh, accessing it through their smart TVs. Uh, if the moms are staying home, they just turn on TVs, they put the YouTube on and it's just rolls. Um, so it's, I've it's seen deep, that firsthand. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so it, you don't need a specific device. We're, we try to make things that are not spe- like not very uh, specific, like something easy to use. So you Excellent. can access to websites. We have access on Facebook, on Instagram that we're heavily used. We are on Twitter and LinkedIn a little bit as well. Children seem to be the target audience for the books and the Rinyo tunes. Can adults still benefit from these as well? Yes. Our our focus on the kids first was because it's a little bit easier to please the kids uh, the adults seem they're you know we're a, little, we're a little bit more pickier and so the, the kids was a thing but we've noticed people are learning from the, the kids videos as well adults uh, i have no i have friends that they would call me and say oh i i learned alphabet through the song i've learned uh, different things to our coloring books because they are activity books at the same time and they are teaching how to draw the letters so adults can benefit we are working right now with a, a few different organizations around the world to make more adult content or for adults. One of them are the Arabic comedies we're making with Surat. So people are learning and those are thriving right now. Interesting. So it's more we started with the kids, but that's our, our total focus. So we're trying to grow into the adult market as well. And then you mentioned these comedy videos. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what those videos are going to be like going forward. So the idea there was to to try to see if we can target different markets because we noticed there's a lot of Arabic speaking in our population, even though we don't like to admit it, but there is a large population and we wanted to see if we can bring those on board. And so we made these comedies that are 80%, about 80% in Arabic and then the other 20% would be one of our dialects, Surith or Surite, and to see if we can attract different people. And it was... It, they just blew up on Facebook. It was just crazy. The people amount of likes, shares is just all over the place. And so the idea is to, and we've started doing this now. We just released our second episode. We're now into a series of a guy. One of them is called Zaya that's speaking Surith. And he's in Australia trying to look for a job. And the other guy would be Shabo that lives in Sudetalia in Sweden. Is trying to look for a job there. So the idea is to slowly, slowly make these longer episodes and maybe eventually add more characters to have a, a full-on series and having something that our people can watch that it's funny, but at the same time, you are picking up on words. So it's not all uh, Surah. So if the people that don't speak it are like, oh, well, I don't understand this language, but it's more like, okay, you know Arabic, you can watch. And honestly, it's more to show off to the other populations. So it's just something, a way for non-Surah to say, look, uh, maybe I want to learn, but how do I say I want to order um, a certain food at a restaurant? How do I get apples at a grocery store? So this was something you can easily learn with Adam and his videos. And the other point would be you could uh, they can learn and they can share with their friends. So like sometimes I have friends that are not Surai and they're like, I'm like, okay, look, you can watch this. This is what we're uh, talking about. And eventually we'll have cultural aspects in there as well. You can see that with our last video, he talks about certain singers, certain foods. So these people can say, oh, look, these are this is what these people eat during Lent and when they're fasting. So it's a cultural exposure to these Arabic-speaking 
eventually we're thinking of doing it in German and other European wow. languages as okay. well. Yeah. No, that's very interesting. It's almost like a grown-up version of, of, of a lot of the kid shows that I watched mm. as a child that helps you integrate into a language and to certain mm-hmm. customs and culture. That's, that's a very exactly. interesting yes. idea. Uh, you are professionally, uh, I mean, educational background and professionally a, a doctor. Your background is in medicine. Yeah. Uh, was there anything from your medical experience, whether professionally or during your education, that gave you inspiration for Rinyo at all? There's multiple things. One was the importance of the language and culture. A lot of times we we don't give it high priority. We focus on other aspects. But from being a physician, especially working with families, we see the importance of having language and how kids can learn multiple language all at once. And it's not impossible to learn multiple dialects at the same time. So it doesn't really matter. And these kids can grow up and speak the language and speak in its different dialects. And then these kids, eventually adults, that could bring unity closer. Because when you, like at this point, when sometimes people from different dialects meet each other, they feel like they're different because they start speaking and they speak fast. And it sounds like they're speaking a different language. But if they slow it down and actually even write it down, it's like, oh, look, I say those same words. So when these kids grow up now and they're learning both dialects, it'll be easier for them to communicate. It'll be easier for the different organizations to come together and have that uh, open dialogue. The other aspect was the whole organizational part of it. One thing we're trying to do with Renew, and it's been successful uh, recently, is pushing it more towards a business model. And not only we're an, we're an organization from back home. So the organizations back home were very um, one person or everybody needs to decide and agree. It was a, kind of like a Middle Eastern democracy, which as I call it, it's like it's not the majority rules. It's like everybody has to agree. And right. it's like you're, it's hard to get that to happen. We have... Oh, we'll get back to you in three months. We'll have to have a meeting and five meetings for all of us to agree. And then we'll agree and get back to you. It doesn't (laughs) work that way. So from being in a hospital, like a large hospital system, I work for Advocate and we're the 10th largest in the United States right now. And we're a nonprofit, but we operate with a multi-billion dollar budget. And we still do fundraisers. We still have our annual gala and we have, but we have a CEO and we have teams that work and not everybody always agrees, but there's a goal and there's a mission and we all go towards that goal and mission. So we try to make that work with Renio and we have the split up of the teams and we have the groups and everybody's working. But again, they're all working for that same goal. So I tried, I tried to bring that from the hospital and it's working a little bit better and we are able to run a little bit faster. It's great that in America and Chicago in particular, we're such a melting pot that we see and hear people from multiple backgrounds all the time. So you must have seen firsthand how difficult it might be mm-hmm. having that language barrier between, let's say, a doctor or a physician mm-hmm. and a patient. And you also mentioned uh, an annual gala that the hospital group with mm-hmm. Rinyo does that as well. So mm-hmm. that's a little bit of inspiration borrowed from yeah. them, too. That's that's good to see. So back to the Rinyo content specifically, not only are the songs themselves catchy, but the graphics mm-hmm. that go along with each song in the videos have these bright colors. And you know, they captivate the in- attention of a young child. Well, what is, the, what is the design process like for creating those videos? And what are the standards you've set as an organization that each video needs to meet? We have several teams working on it. We have one video manager that is in charge of oversight, and he's been doing this for three to four years now, about three to four years that he's been working on these videos. And 
So the idea is to look at what we did before and then grow from there. So it's like we use we use our last video or two as uh, as a standard. And we said we have to be better than that. So it's always improving that way. The idea is to make it attractive and something that going back to the whole we all need to agree. Usually when it comes to this stuff, we make it that we all need to agree because it's like if one of us doesn't like it, then most likely somebody else is not going to like it either. So we work on the graphics and then we show it to the team and the video manager will bring it back to the whole entire like executive team. And we would look at it and say, okay, if we're all good and we feel like I can go and show this to my nieces and nephews or kids, then let's roll with this. If not, then maybe we should go back and work with these graphic people or animators and try to work on this a little bit more. Or is it, is it not like, or sometimes we even have, um, what's a good word? I forgot the professional word. I forgot what they're called. But we test it on kids, right? No kids are harmed, right? So <laughs> no kids uh, are harmed. they just watch the video and or like segments of what we made. And if they're l playing on their phone now, then maybe we're not doing the right thing. But if we see now they're just stuck and staring at the screen, then we, we were doing the right thing, right? And then so we always, like I said, we use that last one as a standard. And then we're trying to still try new ideas because you might notice some of our designs in the past year or even this year are a little bit different and so we're trying to try different angles and see like if this might actually work we actually are working on two or three different designs this year we have two or three that worked from last year we still want to see how much we can modify even more to try to attract that population even more to say okay look because you can make a lot of videos because if you go on youtube now there's like thousands of videos right of english arabic um, spanish everything but which ones are being viewed technically? It's like, which ones are more attractive? You can make, we could have a thousand videos on Renew Tunes, but that doesn't mean they're all gonna be watched. So why waste time in creating content you're not gonna watch? It's more like having that higher quality. So it's more the, um, the video managers and their experience. You have the graphic designers and their experience. You bring it back to the executive team, which is mostly parents or we have nieces and nephews. And then we have those testing people. Are there any rules for the graphic designers? So let's say, um, you know, it's a kid's song. Uh, is there ever a rule or is it kind of more um, freedom to collaborate and do their own thing where you say, if there's a little boy or a little girl in the video, they have to have black hair or wear a certain thing or do you just mm -hmm. let them do kind of their own thing? It's almost a mix. It depends. I, I'd say if with the Bible, the Bible stories, mm. we we asked them to make give us designs for Jesus and, and the Virgin mm -hmm. Mary. And they came back and they looked more European. And so we were, we sent them pictures of people from the Middle East, like more like looking like Surai. And we're like, well, we kind of need them to look a little bit more like this because technically that's where they came right from. Yeah. Right. So maybe we should like modify that way. And then with the kids music videos, we have our we have four to five characters that we have from before. So we're trying, and they're a little bit based on the different looks that our people have. And so we tried to ask them to follow those characters. Uh, even um, let's say if we are going to start a new character, we try to make it look like my uncle or your uncle or my aunt or your grandma. And just uh, at least it's a little bit more familiar. And to show people, look, we can make cartoons that look like us. It doesn't have to be. And there's nothing wrong with everybody else. No, but it'll course. be nice to have something that we can look and say, oh, yeah, that does look like my uncle from Christmas that talks a lot. Or of course. the guy from Thanksgiving. And I think that's the thing you see a lot nowadays, yeah. you know, like with the, the popularity of mm -hmm. Black Panther, uh, with a lot of my African-American friends, they said it was great to finally see a superhero who looked like them. Yeah. And that same thing carries over here. When yeah. a kid is watching Arinio tunes, 
it's kind of nice to see somebody that looks a lot like you yeah, as opposed to exactly. a classmate at school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There are also some, I want to say, incredible voices behind the songs on Rinyo Tunes. Tell us about how you recruit people to add the vocals to the songs. That's difficult. That's hard because our people are spread out everywhere. So it's more like we're always, I use word hunting. We're just yeah. like hunting for people. And it's more like, oh, I heard this video and we try to contact them. Or I was at a church and the choir sounded awesome. Who is that person up there? Or the certain deacon that was on the altar. Or we were at a party. and Because we do have some that are professional singers that are on board. And so it's more um, listening to videos and trying to talk to these people. We like to talk to people that are new as well to try to get them uh, to, to get them going. But it's difficult. It's hard because you have to find something that can they do both dialects? Can they do one? Do they pronounce things properly? Do they have an accent because they do more Arabic? So let's say maybe I go somewhere and they're, they're singing in Arabic or in English. And then like, well, can you do Surah? And they're like, oh, yeah, I speak it at home. But when it comes to singing, they have to pronounce the words properly. Right. Not just like properly as if like they have to be like real words, but like it just doesn't come out properly because they're used to, let's say, English singing. So the words don't come out. Certain letters don't come out. So then we're like, well, maybe we can use you for something else. We want to work with you. So, but it's like a challenge because you have to have that right voice and you have to have that right talent. And then they have to have time and they have to be able to find a studio. Because in Chicago, we have studios that we work with. But let's say if the singer is in Germany, then what are we going to do? Are we going to fly this person out here? Or are they as close as, let's say, California? So what are they going to do there? Are they going to find a recording studio? Do we have to make a deal with them? And so it's easy and hard. It's a challenge. It's exciting because you get to show off these people's voices as well. And it's like you're helping them. So it's like a fun, hard thing. Logistically, it could be a nightmare. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, exactly. that, that does sound like a lot of fun, actually, because you are getting voices from worldwide, mm-hmm. not just Chicago. Exactly. What is the writing process like for each of the songs, uh, especially the songs that have an English equivalent? Because I can imagine you're writing something like Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, or Old MacDonald. Mm. That has to be rough to find the, the, the kind of rough equivalent in Assyrian uh, you know, versus mm. English, because we don't always have a direct word for an English word. Mm. So take us through that process. So at first, when we started doing this, it, we were trying to make it equal on both dialects. And we found that a little bit difficult to do because you, because we were using, like you mentioned, we were using these songs that were already folk songs because we were trying to use that music to attract the kids more. So then we would come here and say, okay, look, this word is this in, in this dialect, then it's this in this other dialect, but then that doesn't actually work with the music. Like the word is too long or it's too short or it has too many vowels and it would turn into a mess. So then we started saying, okay, we'll just, we'll separate them. And you don't have to have the same words as long as the meaning is there. And then sometimes we got to a point where the song is just too short. Mm -hmm. And so it would come out to 50 seconds or a minute. And we're like, well, that's not going to really work and uh, it's not worth it. And then what we we would do is we would talk to these um, writers or translators and say, can you look at whatever we had or this song, whatever this short song is, and extend it with another paragraph. So they would look at at the content and then extend it. And it's People that are involved, I could say we have people from Europe and Canada, U.S. and Australia involved in the process. And they're all—they're not all working on the same song. It could be like one person or two people are working on this one song in this dialect. We have a couple other people on this other song. And, it's a, and then they all just talk to each other through the different managers. So the link is always that 
the the manager. So you would have like four or five different people working on these different projects. So it's it's an easy thing technically because we're using already something that we're just translating. But then it's like balancing uh, that one word because it doesn't work with the music. So we try to f- find something equivalent or we change the whole sentence to something that matches the meaning, but not exactly like the words from the English song. Was there ever anything so difficult that you just decided to scrap the song altogether? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We had a song or two that it just didn't work. We couldn't make the words or like the words were too difficult because we tried to focus on that proper versus not proper. But sometimes the proper is so difficult. It's like it's not it's pointless. Like Why give it to the kids? And then they're trying to sing this thing. But it's so hard that I can't even sing it. And as an adult, and then why make the kids sing it? Right. It's not attractive anymore. Oh, but it's the proper word. I'm like, well, who cares? Honestly. Like, if they're not going to use it, uh, if we can introduce other proper words at the beginning until they get used to those and then maybe throw on the hard ones. So it's a, it's a challenge in that point. And then you invest in this song and then you're like, ah, oh, we can't use it anymore. I've noticed like, some of the words, too, are are nicely elongated <clears throat> to match the tune of the song. Mm-hmm. But some yeah. of the words we have in our vocabulary, that's yeah. just not going to fit. Yeah, yeah. So it's a challenge. But we have smart people on board, so... I'm not worried. Some of the words used in the songs, and you touched on this a little bit, are not necessarily words that Assyrians use in their speech, everyday speech, I should say, but they are the correct forms of the words, you know, like monkey or some of the various colors, for example. Why was it important to introduce the correct words versus, you know, some of the improper, for lack of a better word, but uh, familiar words to your listeners? One thing was the whole unity idea. I'm I'm really big into the dialects. I love not sorry the dialects, the subdialects. I really love the subdialects because they all have they always have a story. Why does this village say this one word, and why does this other village or town say this other word? And then it, even if you pay enough attention, you would notice villages that are speaking different, completely different dialects, but they have specific words that they use but then the other villages don't use. So they're different dialects, but they use the same word, though. It's interesting to me, like the story in the backgrounds. So I would like to preserve that part, but at the same time, we need to still preserve our own language, though, and not let it die out and turn into something else. For example, let's say in Surah, there's multiple words that are uh, Turkish, Kurdish, per, uh, Persian, Arabic, or even English. And so slowly people are thinking now, oh, this is... This is Surith, but technically it's not. It's a Surithized word, right? right? Or a Syrianized, if you would properly. But even that's not a right word to say. And so it's more like these are just purely, really just English words, like um, automobile, for example, right? We use that. I'm like, oh, that's uh, that's a Syrian. I'm like, really? <laughs> how, did that, how did you make that work? Right. Right. So, or doctor, even. Right. right? Doctor. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to introduce words, but again, remember, like how I said, like you can't introduce all the words because then it sounds foreign uh, so let's say in germany for example a population a large population uses uh, it mixes turkish turkish and kurdish a lot into surites into the western spoken dialect and when i went there and was and i was just talking to my cousins it's not like i was talking to fans or anything my cousins and they're like robbie what is this like we can't understand these videos i'm like <laughs> what's wrong which one and we're playing it and they're like what is this we need something in studio i'm like this is and they're like well i don't understand anything i'm like well what do you say for this word and they started giving me these words and they're either turkish words kurdish words wow i'm like well you're but not they really... didn't know right they, they thought know. it was a serious oh no yeah. yeah they're like they're like well, this is what we learned to use. And my parents said, this is uh, Turoyo. I'm like, well, you know, just putting an O at the end doesn't make it Turoyo, right? So, like, you can't just do that, right? 
And so it's introducing these words a little bit. But again, like I said, you have to have that pace because you don't want to turn these people away and say, well, we can't understand anymore. Right? Like even, let's say, the Lord's Prayer. We, we launched the Lord's Prayer in pure classical on both sides. And people complain. They're like, well, this is not how we pray it, though. I'm like, yes, but this is how it's a proper way to pray it. Right? Well, not the proper way. The proper words that are in this in the in the prayer. So we get this back and forth thing from parents and from teachers and but you, again it's that pace and you do it slowly and you reintroduce the other th- the, the unity part comes in let's say these people from these different dialects or sub dialects if you let them grow by themselves because if you've noticed in the past 20 30 years ever since we left the home countries we've been um, spread out a little bit more per churches per political parties even within the same churches and slowly these sub-dialects are turning into major, uh, this is what we, we speak. Like I even heard it from people within the different denominations, within the different political aspects. And they're like, well, when we go and try to talk to people, we speak a different sub-dialect, they push us away. Even though they're like my cousin from the village across the, right. the river or something. And so, because they're like, oh, you speak differently. You don't say uh, this word the right way. You, you say tawa uh, for spy. So you're like evil now. That's you unfortunate. can't say that, right? So what we're trying to bring is that unity part. Let's say, look, it; these are the right words. You guys are just using other words, which is not incorrect. It's just not technically 100%. So it's more like giving them these options. We're actually putting out, we have two posts already, and they're more, we put out a post, and like, let's say, a rabbit. And we put out the two different words that people use. One is the proper, and the other one is is not proper mm. we didn't say it's right or wrong we just said well which one do you guys use and we made a poll it'd be surprising how it was mixed and then two days later we put another post just saying this is the explanation of these words we didn't say this is the right way to say it or the wrong way because technically there is no right way or wrong way like who are you to judge nobody is a right. pure l- linguistic 100 percent in our language and so you would say okay this word is technically persian and it means rabbits right and then this is what is in real, pure, classical Syriac. And then you get to pick. Do you want to stick with the word your mom sure. and dad taught you? God bless. This, you want to use a more proper one? Great. And so that's something we're going to start releasing more like on a, day, on a weekly basis. To try like, it's more, it's, and we, we try to stay away from saying this is right or wrong because we don't want to be more on the right. judgmental side. It's of like, course. well, this is what, this is just more information, right? And then you guys decide on what you want to do. Do you find yourself over the years plugging in more proper terms versus more incorrect, for lack of a better word, conversational terms in your personal life just through casual conversations? Yeah, yeah we, we try to do that. And then it technically, like I said, it helps me understand other dialects. In Turoy and Surait, the, the sub-dialects are not that different because we depend heavily on the classical. And so that's why we understand more at church. And But then it helps me understand people that speak Eastern now more. And there are different dialects and uh, sorry sub dialects, and there's certain sub dialects that are closer, let's say, to the classical. Then it helps me, or like I start translating, or I learn the other words that people use, let's say, from Surat. For let's say, for example, in Germany, a lot of people that speak Surat, they would say mas for table. They don't say tablitha or tawle, which is more on the proper. Tawle is Arabic, but it's still closer to our tablitha or tablitho. So then I can, when I'm listening to somebody speaking Surat. Let's say in Chicago, and he says, oh, we'll put something on, let's say, Moss. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know what that is, even though it's Turkish. Sure. But now like, it's like I'm learning these other languages, too, because of our people. 
Turkish, Kurdish, Persian. That's incredible, yeah. though, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. even in America, there there are different dialects in different mm-hmm. parts of the country. People from Louisiana yeah. sound completely different than people yes. from Philadelphia. Yes. And I think as long as we understand that that is a thing, no no one group of people is going to speak identically. Yes. I think that kind of gets us over mm-hmm. the hump. And what you guys are doing now on a weekly basis, I think, helps with a lot of that. Another great question from one of my fellow co-hosts. Um, this does not apply to me, but a lot of millennials uh, around my age group grew up with Jillian Agendu's version of, you know, the Alphabet song and other songs that she made for kids in the 90s. How does it feel from your perspective to know that a whole new generation of Assyrians will be singing Rinyo produced songs years from now and reminiscing about that, their childhood, including those songs? I think it's amazing. And I think it's, and it's good for Junior Agendo. Honestly, because that's what I grew up with. She had certain songs that I still remember singing when we were kids. So it's cool. Like, it's good for us and her and the other singers. Obviously, you have Linda George and you have um, Habib Musa and all these other singers. And it's good. Like, they their songs were so amazing. They stuck in their heads so much that it led us to make things like this now and then influence more. And we are still thinking of going back and talking to these people. We've spoken to Linda George. We've spoken to Juliana Jindo and a bunch of other singers from Europe to say, okay, look, we attracted all these kids now. And then what's the next step? Do we go back to the past? Do we create new content for the kids now? We've spoken with uh, um, the Luendos as well. Like they have like, you know, they're all singers at the Luendo house. You know, they're all like awesome singers. So we've spoken to them as well. And they have like very awesome creative ideas. So we're trying to talk to these people that were there before that the ones that influenced us. And so, okay, look, this is what we, you guys did, and this is what we did now. What else can we do to try to, like, make these kids more interacted with the language and love this language and culture even more? Why is it important to ensure the survival and foster the growth and overall health of our language and culture? I think it's a, you lose your identity if you don't speak your language. And I think it's... You lose, you lose the history. Like even right now, like um, we do speak. Let's say we do speak Surat, we speak Surat Toroya, or whatever you want to call these different words. But how many people know about the culture properly? Like even Akito, like barely anybody knew what that meant three years ago. True. Okay, not, or even now, like try to go ask people, what is Akito? Oh, it's New Year's. Okay, what day is Akito? And they'll tell you it's April first. I'm like, well, only April first. And so, like, it, and that's only one part of it. Imagine you have seven thousand years of data and information but when you go ask somebody they barely know anything and the majority of us right so it's if we lose the language then you lose that connection altogether with this and you go along again with let's say the churches when they say well why do we use syriac in the churches why not just do english because we're in america like then why not just go to the church next door right why am i going to drive 20 minutes or 30 minutes to church to listen to this priest say something that half of it i don't understand true if that connection is not there and it's the same thing with the political parties why stay connected like you can take an example with let's say uh, more like italians and greeks if you look at things okay italians they still eat italian food but they don't speak the language they're not that connected you don't see them all with italian stuff but let's say looking at the greek uh, population they speak it they think their origin everything originates from them you go in their front lawn you feel like you're in greece very private right right so but they speak it they're really big on speaking greek Right. So it's I feel like that should be a lesson. OK, do we want to go the route of the Greek people did? Do you want to go the route that the Irish people did? Again, they don't speak 
Irish or they're Gaelic. Uh, they do speak English now, but they don't speak the Gaelic. They lost that, right? They adopted English now. It's same thing with Italians. They don't speak Italian anymore. They do have some aspects. So what are we going to look like? Oh, we're going to run around with a Syrian flag and eating dolma, but then we don't know anything about any of our kings. I'd rather like stick with the language. So at least like we know where we came. Where did that flag come from? Where did this bull with the wings come from? Or what was its job? Or it just appear out of nowhere. Somebody was bored and drew a picture or or what was the meaning behind it like the uh, importance about it and then it gives it gives you a sense of pride as well because you're like oh look my people are so cool and they're so awesome they did all that stuff back then why can't we do stuff now like why can't we help preserve languages now why can't we help build and do stuff now instead of always like we're like we seem like the victims now oh people should help us they should donate to us they should give us a hand i'm like why can't we give people a hand that's what we used to do for seven thousand years we were the ones conquering and building and making and creating. Now we're sitting there, oh, please come help us. Like, why? We can help each other and help other people. So if you lose the language, then what's connecting you then? To the people like the Suraya that are in Canada even, or the people that are in um, Germany or Sweden. Like you go there and they're speaking German, you're speaking English. You're like, okay, cool. You know, you're from Iraq. So yeah, my dad too. So, okay, great. Now what? I think an important distinction to make too, and I'm glad you brought it up, is that, you know, in, in America, Italians and the Irish largely were not welcome with open arms when mm. they immigrated here. So I think a lot of them thought, okay, we need to speak English, mm. we need to uh, acclimate to the norms of American yes. society, where we're lucky enough, not to say that prejudice doesn't exist against exactly. the Syrians, it does on some level, but we're welcome, generally speaking, with much more wide open arms than the early 20th century Italians and the mm -hmm. Irish were. And I think the Greeks knew that too, and that's mm -hmm. why they hold on to their culture and their language so much as well. So not only should we, but to piggyback off of what you said, we kind of have a lot more freedom to do that. Mm -hmm. exactly. We can still live here and we could still adopt, or not adopt, I should say, I should foster and grow our overall language and culture. So I think what you said was spot on. Thank you. Rinyo tunes specifically have nearly 1 million cumulative views and your social media presence reaches thousands. Did you think you would receive this much support over the course of what, less than seven years that you've been established? We're grateful for the support. We're, our YouTube channel, Renew Tunes, is at about 6,500 uh, followers right now. The views are like you mentioned. And we have about 10,000 followers on Facebook, on our main Facebook page. We're grateful. I didn't expect this much. But it's kind of cool that you were able to run this fast and we just want more. We want to reach more and more people. Uh, so it's exciting to have so much, so many people and to go places and people know who you are before you start saying anything and you just say, oh, I'm Robbie. They're like, oh, yeah, you're from Renew and Renew Tunes or like within our staff goes places. All they need to do is mention the word and they know you. So it's kind of cool. And it's just it makes us want to do more. Right. So because like now there's expectations, they're like, oh, you guys did this, 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 this. Now what? I'm like, yeah, well, OK, so what else do you guys want? And they and people feel like they start comparing us to um, what they see in their their normal life. Let's say that if you're in America, they're like, oh, but like when I turn on YouTube, there's a thousand songs in in English. Why can't we have that in a Syrian or Surite? I'm like. I'm like, yeah, well, we're working on it. It's just not that easy. But then it makes you want to do more. Let's say if we didn't have so many views, then you would be like, well, you know, but it's nobody watching. It's not a big deal. If we release something every six months, you know, they'll still see us. 
But that's not the case. It's like you mentioned, there's so many views, there's more expectations. People are posting when is the new song released, when's the new puppet show released, when is the new next Adam video coming out, or what are you guys doing next? So it's it's fun. It's it's it puts that pressure on you, on the whole team to say like we need to provide even better because people are actually watching this, right? Let's say if you know nobody's watching it, you're making a book and handing it out. It doesn't have to be that awesome. But then when you know people are actually using it. And they're critiquing back in a positive way and saying, look, we want more of this. And now the next thing you produce has to be even better than that. Then you have to like sit there, work more hours and get more, more and more talented people on board to try to produce something that those 10,000 people will be interested in. Where do you want to see Rinyo five years from now? I wanted to see it bigger. I want it to be more of an influencer. And we want to be on the ground more. We are trying to make that work now with um, our activities in Chicago. And that we're trying to do on in the United States. And we're trying to grow that into Germany and Sweden and Australia. G- on the ground is important as well. Because we noticed we don't have those activities on the ground. It might seem like in certain aspe- places. Let's say in Chicago, we have activities. But then you go to other places, you don't. Or even even in Chicago, it's or let's say looking back at um, the the New Year's we had right like last week or two weeks ago, how many activities? Most of the activities you noticed were all parties, or some places where they worked hard that they were able to make parades, right? Like in Chicago and some other places, they did it hard. They right. did put in effort and stuff, and they had parades. But if you looked at how many places had family friendly activities or kid friendly activities, it was numbered. Or I honestly didn't even see any on on the social media posts. So we still have a lack of things. We're still not paying attention to the future. So, okay, great. We're having a party. But then, like, those kids are not going to come to the party. Or even if they do come to the party, they'll be just running around. And then when they grow up, they don't understand the significance of this huge thing that we've been celebrating for seven, 8,000 years. So having more on-the-ground activities is something I would want to see. We've been doing that the past two years. We've had three or four events at libraries or at social areas, and it's all free. So imagine that growing, having the ability to have more fr- um, family-friendly activities, more mom-friendly activities, where you have stuff for the kids to do, and they're educational at the same time, but they're fun at the same time, and you're able to teach them about our uh, obviously our religious aspects with the different denominations, respecting them, and then having the teaching about our kings, our queens, mm-hmm. the emperors, the empresses, the gods, the different um, protectors that we were involved in or all this awesome culture that we have and to bring that in because you can't always do that through the videos. You have to have that face-to-face with these kids. Again, that comes in from my doctor point. You can't have screen time over two or three hours a day. So then what do you do with the rest of the day? They have to have uh, activities that would that would stimulate their brains. So through these live things with arts and crafts, then we can get to this point. And then imagine you have that unified aspect of, oh, we're in Chicago and we did this and then my cousin in California actually did the same thing. So then they can compare and they can say, oh, look, let's try to do something different instead of having this segmented, oh, we don't know what's going on or you guys do this or was Akito on March 23rd or was it on April 1st? Well, I don't know. My mom said it was April 1st. (laughs) My mom said it was March 23rd. Well, which one is right? Are they both right? So then when you have this teaching all over the place and on the ground as well, then more and more people will get educated. They'll come closer to each other instead of fighting. They'll say, oh, yeah. Cool, I know that. I can do that too. So higher visibility, more education. And you mentioned the future. And I want to loop back around to a point you made earlier where 
you're going through the creative process, the video process, and you actually screen test it with kids. Um, how do yes. you go about choosing which kids get in the room and get the, the VIP access of watching the first cut? It's usually family members, right? Like we haven't gone as far as we actually did it once, but it was it was like we did a premiere kind of thing. So our last music video we released, we had a live we had our third, fourth live event. And during that event, we prim- we showed it to those kids before we released it on YouTube. Right. So they got to see it before. But it was the final product. We don't have a set of kids yet to say, look, we'll go and we'll bring them in and have them view this. It's more like my cousin, your cousin, or the managers, their nieces and nephews, and they show it to them and say, look, what do you guys think? Right. But eventually that would be something we'll be able to do. Obviously, with our office now that we have an office, we could have a setup or even like with these activities we're trying to set up. We're trying to go into we have it now almost once every three months in Chicago that we have our live events with the kids. We're trying to expand that maybe to every two months or eventually even to once a month and in different locations in Chicago. Like right now, we have them in Skokie mostly, and we're trying to advance into Morton Grove and the Roselle Schomburg area in Chicago. And then maybe there we could have a section say, okay, let's show you these 30 seconds. Okay. Right? And then that would give us even a bigger population. And But kids don't lie, so it doesn't really matter if it's my cousin or uh, somebody I don't know because yeah. if they don't like it, they're not going to stare. Right. Right? So it's still okay for to use our families right now but eventually we'll be moving into like um our fans excellent and as from the adult perspective if i want to brush up on my assyrian if i want to learn how to speak better what's if i'm on rinyo's website or on youtube what's something that i can check out that would be beneficial to me or my friends or my family for adults right now other than the arabic videos that are the 80 20 percent we have the bible a bible search engine that's in surah surahs and then classical syriac and you can search the bible verses that way you can read and the fonts you can pick different fonts but we don't have anything specific other than those two things for adults right now we are working like i said with a bunch of different groups from the u.s and europe to try to move the content to adults as well because again we've been focusing on the kids but we've noticed when, let's say, we go and hand out our books. Our books are very basic, the kids' books. But we're coming to a point that the parents are not interested in buying these books or or getting the books for the kids because they, at first they were saying they're too difficult for the children. I'm like, it's an ABC book. Like, what? I, I don't know what, <laughs> what else I can do easier than this. Or it's a little tiny story. And they're like, and then it's like, well, you know... I, I can't really read it either. And so we've been noticing a lot of these families themselves, the parents don't know the language. They don't know how to read and write. And we're like, okay, this is a problem. So like, how do you get it to the kids if the adults don't know it? Like you can't get an adult to buy a book and read it to the children if they can't read it themselves. So we're trying to figure out this this out and try to get it to the customer. Quick plug, give us your website, social media details. What do we need to look for on YouTube when we search there? For YouTube... Our main page there is uh, Rinyo Inc. I-N-C. And you would see different prayers, hymns on there. And you would see Adam's Arabic videos, the comedies. And then for the children's stuff, you would go to our different YouTube channel, which is Rinyo Tunes, R-I-N-Y-O-T-O-O-N-S. And then on Instagram and on Facebook, it's the same. We have a Rinyo Tunes and then we have a Rinyo I-N-C-K, I-N-C. Uh, platforms and we always leave it with the the heavy hitter at the end of every interview all of our hosts do this 
if there's anything you want to say to Assyrians everywhere listening to the Assyrian podcast, or just any final closing comments, the floor is yours. Well, first, I want to thank you guys. You guys are doing an amazing job at the Assyrian podcast. And it'll be great to see more of your work in the future. It was amazing to be part of this. One thing I would want to say is trying to work with different businesses and try to figure out ways that we can benefit from each other. I've seen it in some places and it's amazing, but it'll be cool like if we can expand that to bigger places. Instead of depending on donations, we can benefit each other. Because with Threnio, we have, like I said, we have a bunch of studios in Chicago worldwide and we partner up with uh, different printing places in Chicago. We have two or three different places we print at. And so if we have this ability to work as different Assyrian Surai businesses, then we can help each other more instead of that. And we can market for each other. We can help support each other with different uh, ideas or thinking and brainstorming. So I think it's beneficial to help grow each other because if if you're targeting, let's say, Surai, but they don't care anymore because they don't know the culture as much, then they're not going to come support you. Or if you're even thinking of the idea of collecting money to send back home, but if you don't have a population that's interested, then there's no more money to send back home anymore. So it's like, it's this thing of focusing on the outside because just from looking at social media, you notice how most of our focus is on the home country or home countries. And there's little focus on the people here in Europe, in Canada or North America or Australia. And, well, Australia does a better job than most of us, but you know what I'm saying. It, the idea is to try to f- think of the kids here and think of act- more activities in these foreign countries because if these kids grow up and they don't care as much, they're not going to care anymore to send money to their cousins in the home country. They'll say, well, let them figure it out. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what they look like. I don't even know what Qamishti or Erbil looks like. Why do I care anymore? So it's a very interesting point that we try to focus on with Renu is when people come and say, we'll work with you guys, but oh, you don't send money back home. Oh, you guys don't uh, work back home. So we're not going to help you. We want to help people only back home, which is great. But like, but who's helping the people here, though, and helping them grow, building schools, building infrastructure here. So I'm hoping like more people would be interested in that as well. Big things coming from Rinio in the next few years. Keep a lookout <laughs> for them. Dr. Robbie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, man. Thank you for coming. This has been another episode of the Assyrian Podcast. Thank you to everybody who made it to the end of this episode. I hope you like what you heard. You are all the reason why we do this. We love sharing these wonderful stories of wonderful Assyrians with all of you around the world. You're a giant listening audience and you're all appreciated. A big uh, reminder for you, if you haven't done so already, please like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram at Assyrian Podcast, and also rate and subscribe uh, via pretty much any podcast app that you use on your iPhone or Android device or whatever it is that you use. Uh, Rating us also helps us get featured in the app store, whether it's on an iPhone or on an Android device. And once again, thank you so much for listening to episode 60 of the Assyrian Podcast.